Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Hone sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. Alright, what's up, Potter Watch? This is the Harry Potter Phantology special crew here with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, Book 7, Part 1 episodes. We finally decided to split up these rather long episodes into two parts, probably something that should have been happening since Book 4. So we're only going to cover up until, uh, spoilers for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, but we're only going to cover up until Dobby's death, which is when the movies split. Actually, turns out to be a maybe a good decision on their part, like a good point, at least, of, of where to split the movies. So that is, uh, that, that's what's going on for this episode. You can tune into part two episode, which will come out, uh, gosh, whenever we record it. So uh, who knows when, to be honest. Hey, hopefully pretty soon, though. Yeah. Yeah, Nathan and Dan, you guys, you guys are pumped for uh, part one, at least, right? Yeah, for sure. This is my favorite all-time of Harry Potter books out there. Um, super stoked to read this book probably about at least 30 times, so... I'm what? way excited. Wait, wait, guys, before we go any further, I got to ask you a question. Where did we eat last Friday or Saturday? No, Saturday. Where did we eat last Saturday? Before we can continue this podcast, I need to verify your identities. <laughs> Where did you- <laughs> what? what food did we have last Saturday? Just just some pizza or something? No, we did not have pizza. Who no, is this we guy? had Chipotle. We had Chipotle. Oh, yeah. Hey, it was Chipotle. I remember the Chipotle. I would have already casted that. I would have cast a Vaticadaver on you 10 seconds ago, Stephen. This is for real. That was a very basic question. <laughs> we had Chipotle. Chipotle ordering on online was exceedingly difficult because yeah, very they, didn't, they didn't allow you to enter your gift card in unless you had an account, which is not something that was made obvious. And then I guess the pickup was like way long with, with all the... Yeah, I get I it. They're, yeah. In, they're in high demand. They have delicious burritos, but there was no excuse for a. I think it was a seven fifteen was the notice that we got for expected pickup. Didn't get it till seven forty five. Almost missed an important game. Almost. So now that we're done bad mouthing Chipotle, who I guess is our sponsor for this episode, let's roll into uh, let's roll into part one. So Nathan, I, I got to follow up on this though. Yeah, thirty that- times. <laughs> I yeah, am not 30, 30. Is that plus or minus 20? What, 30? Seriously? No, that may be plus or minus like five, but this is like my all-time favorite. Like if I ever need a book to read or if I'm ever just bored, I'll just pick it up and just like read it. And just read the whole thing or read like the first chapter? No, I'll read bits and parts of it. Like my favorite parts. Open it wherever and, and read whatever. Favorite scenes. Hey, have you considered reading other books? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, right now I'm I'm making my way through uh Words of Radiance. I'm halfway Wait, through. Wait, weren't you making your way through Words of Radiance like 2 years ago? <laughs> no, no, not 2 years ago. Uh no, I'm halfway through, midway, midway through Words of Radiance. 
Yeah, Nathan, you realize that there's there have been, I mean, it's good that you're starting to read other books, but for several years, decades, there have been other books. It's not like you're stranded in the wilderness with just Beatles and Bard, and that's the only <laughs> book you have to read. There's lots of other options. I know, I know there's other options. I also had finals this week, so I had to deal with that. So I couldn't really read a lot, but I mean, I have read other books besides Harry Potter. Well, if there's any detail in this episode that you are not 100% confident in, then that is very suspect. No, I, everything I say, I'll be 100% confident in. Yeah, audience, please uh, track Nathan's accuracy. <laughs> Here, we, we need like yeah. uh, in the presidential debates, we, we need a live fact checker. On all we have a proclaimed expert here. All right, so uh, let's roll into the review. And before we do so, if you want to see or hear more from Phantology, you can do that at www.phantologybooks.com. Our full episode catalog is up there. We're almost up to 100 episodes. In fact, by the time this is released, we may be past 100 episodes. Oh, so, sure. Uh, oh, let's go Phantology. Yeah, yeah. Big, big year. Got to the century mark and we're... We're rolling on. We have big plans for 2021, which we talk about in some other episodes. And if you want to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books. Okay, so to start off. Yeah, and speaking of only reading one book, how about all of Phantology's Rhythm of War content lately? Just killing it with all that. Anyway, you can continue. Sorry. Are you uh, are, are you trying to say we're doing too much? Are you just real pumped about no, Rhythm just, of War? Per- perfect amount. Yeah, I, I thought so too. One, I'm, I'm pumped about Rhythm of War. Yeah, Dan, uh, Dan, how many pages into the Stormlight Archive have you read since we were giving Nathan a bad time? I haven't read into any pages, but I have listened yeah. to bits and pieces, I, I think, as Nathan said. <laughs> hmm. Hey, right. I got, we, we got time. We, we know what, uh, now that we're finishing up Harry Potter, we know what series Dan and Nathan need to focus on. That's right. Next, yeah. Yeah, we, we got to keep yeah. the crew together for some more reviews. Okay, so uh, typically we kind of do this where we go talk to different characters and we break down some exciting things from them, uh, how, how they performed throughout the course of the book. Keep in mind, we do want to keep it to everything before Malfoy Manor and, and Dobby dying. So try to keep that straight. It may be a little difficult because obviously the resolution to the book ties in a lot of the character arcs. But uh, should we start with Harry? Harry yeah. Potter? Yeah, I was thinking this it's going to be hard because the the book obviously focuses so much on on the trio, on Harry, Ron and Hermione. I don't yeah. know how many details we're going to have on some of the more minor characters until the end of the book. For sure. Well, yeah, I I mean we could still talk about Dumbledore even though he's dead cuz we get more details on him in this book than we do in any other. Dumbledore is on my list. Good list, Steven. Could we could also start with Voldemort since it kind of starts there. But I don't know. That's my opinion. All right, Nathan, wanting to go st- going straight to the Dark Lord. Okay, let's do it. We we will have plenty of time to get to oh, Harry. Yeah, thanks for being flexible, host. Nathan, I'm expecting some some good takes on Voldemort right now. All right, thirty time reader, tell us what you uh, what your takes are on Voldemort in part in part one. Um. So in part one, so I felt like Don- or Voldemort was very. I felt he like he was a little bit too cautious just because he still had a lot of the Horcruxes left, right? In the first part of the book. Why didn't he actively, I don't know. He could have actively be seeking after Harry in the first part. He does that when they have the whole chase scene, right? And he goes, he kills 
Mad-Eye Moody and he chases after Harry after he finds him. But I felt like after that, you never hear Voldemort, what he's doing or anything like that. Well, we do. I mean, we, we get the we get the flashbacks or not the flashbacks. We get the flashes from Harry. Yeah, like he's mind. he's taken over the ministry and stuff like that. But why isn't he sending out more? Unless Harry, Ron, and Hermione are like the ultimate, like we're just going to run away. No one's ever going to find us. Unless they're just, just the best wizards at doing that. But I feel like Voldemort could easily find Harry somehow. Put some tracker spell on him or something. Well, I mean, the thing he does is, eventually. He well, he does two different times. He does on their attempted escape from the Dursleys, and he also does in Godric's in Godric's Hollow through Nagini. He just he just can't seem to get the nail in the coffin. Yeah, it will that, but like at the be- very beginning, but like he kind of figured that Harry would go back to Godric's Hollow at some point, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. he didn't really find him. Harry found Voldemort, and he wasn't even Voldemort of that. I mean, I guess I guess there was no way, right? Like Harry and Hermione, her, her, well, really, Hermione was able to hide themselves well enough, and I think they did a good enough job. I, it was believable. I mean, they were Grimmauld Place for a while, and there's a magical reason why Voldemort couldn't find them there, and then they were yeah. hopping around. And I, yeah. I, I think it was okay. I mean, Voldemort was certainly doing other things at the same time. He was trying to solve the whole wand issue. Mm-hmm. And like you say, he went after him straight away at the beginning of the book. He was he was going to take down Harry Potter. And then Harry Potter's wand did something crazy. Magical. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> he, was, he was shook, right? Yeah. Very, very the boy who lived-esque that escapes death once again just by the wand saving him. Yeah. If you Google something like how did Harry, the next thing that will be the next thing that will be suggested on Google is how did Harry Potter's wand save him or shoot off the, shoot, shoot off the fire? Yeah. It's a big this, question. this scene. Yeah. This was, I, I still don't under, I mean, I get it. It is explained, right? It's like, Oh, well they were brother wands. Like and, he wasn't Voldemort. was it using his wand? Right. And, and I guess it's because of the connection between Harry and Voldemort and the Horcrux. I feel like you have to take a pretty big leap here magically in order to understand this because it's really just like all plot armor is I, I don't like this. I'm willing to overlook this. I think a cool part of this is that Voldemort can actually fly without a broom. I want more of an explanation on that. Super yeah, power. but that's that's done in, in book five. Or at oh, least the movie. Part. In the fight at the ministry. That yeah. sounds familiar. I can't remember exactly though. Why why does he really need to they, you see him like flying from place to place. Why does why doesn't he just apparate? Why do you even fly? Why not do like a teleportation, like pop around? Well, he what? probably had apparated to the place, but when he was in pursuit, he had started flying. Yeah, because he had a he had apparate to where Harry was. He couldn't fly there that fast. Well, if you're flying, you're chasing, right? So why couldn't he just apparate directly to Harry Potter? Well, he did. He probably did because the fight was above. Like right above the Dursley's house and around London, right? But well, no, Harry I, I had don't think he through the location, but he's chasing Harry Potter. Harry Potter is like a hundred meters in front of him. Why doesn't he just apparate to Harry? Right, oh, right. Up the okay, I I get I get. Oh. Stephen, maybe it's hard to apparate when you're going full speed. Yeah, maybe the uh, maybe the 
Maybe it's chances difficult. chances of splinching are are increased greatly. Hmm. I yeah okay we should yeah, maybe stop picking the, picking the magic part, but it is kind <laughs> of fun. <laughs> Wait, I want to push back on Nathan's thing. I'm I'm still not really understanding what Nathan's complaint about Voldemort is. Like, I think the guy was I think he was working nonstop. I think he did all of his due diligence. We hear stuff about how he was like interrogating all of the members of the Order of the Phoenix, trying to get into Harry's whereabouts, but. Like Hermione specifically, the whole group, but specifically Hermione, they left no breadcrumbs at all for him to really follow. Like none of the other members knew where they well, were. Besides they had all the charms. And I, I mean, he was doing the wand stuff, but he was looking for them, I think. I my my Remus. What do you mean besides Remus? Oh, that, that they were gone? Yeah. Well, he knew where they were at Grimald Place, and then he also found him in i guess part two yeah we can't go there yeah we can't talk about that but <laughs> it's so it's just a little bit quite like if we're talking about magic and i mean i guess it's a bit more of like a hit on the magic like why isn't there like a tracker spell like uh-huh. find something that belongs to I mean, harry they put the, trace. the trace was kind of cool Maybe, I don't know, maybe they haven't invented the tracker spell yet, right? That's part of using magic in a book. You can create the rules and then they, they abide by those rules. And J.K. Rowling has the has the advantage, I guess, in each of her books. She can basically invent new magical things like, oh, we have the Deathly Hollows and they're going to save the day. Or we've got, you know, now these different spells. We've got the Polyjuice Potion comes in in book two. So she's writing the book. She chose to not put in a tracker spell. She easily could have. But that's just how Harry Potter works. There's some things they can't do, some things they can't yeah. do. That's what we call a soft magic that's system. True. So here's my complaint about Voldemort. Why didn't he just make one of the Horcruxes totally inaccessible? Like, why do they even have to be, like, I guess, why do they? Why does anyone have to be able to find the Horcruxes? Can't he banish them to some location that is never going to be touched or seen by any wizard? And... He kind of tried to do that with a cave, but like the the one that I had the biggest problem with is the diadem, which is in the second part. But I guess my my biggest complaint with Voldemort is that he didn't put more protections on the Horcruxes. Once he realized that Harry and the crew were clearly going after the Horcruxes, just to put some some extra barriers in place there. Well, he did. I felt like he... Once he knew that Harry was going after the Horcruxes, I felt like he did because, I mean, not want, I don't really want to go into part two, but just what happens after he finds out that Harry's going to, going to Hogwarts and the protection that he puts there with Snape and the Karos and then just protecting Nagini more. A, a little bit. I mean, he does let Umbridge wear the locket, but maybe he doesn't understand what's going I on. Don't, I don't think he knows the locket is with Umbridge. Yeah, it's got to be Yeah, he, there's no way he does. I'm just saying, why doesn't he bury it 100 feet in the ground in some random spot? Because it's not a spot important to him? Maybe, I mean, we've seen like the ability to trace things magically, so... Yeah, maybe if it's in a place with no protection at all, then there's the chance that it's stumbled upon or they find, you know, traces. Well, I don't of think magic they can find something here. I don't know. I don't think Horcruxes, you can use them. Like you have the Accio spell. I, don't, I mean, in the book, they couldn't use that to bring the Horcruxes to them. Well, sure. Like there are definitely some things they could do, but we've seen Dumbledore be able to like 
find magical traces when he's finding right. the cave with Harry. It's yeah, like, that's oh, what I, I thought of. Magic here. Oh. Yeah, that's it would, true. You have to be a really high-powered wizard to be able to to find the location of a Horcrux. Certainly not Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, it, it is convenient that these are notable locations and exciting locations, and this is you know the way the crew is able to track down the Horcruxes. Uh, yeah, I I agree. That might be a little bit of plot armor as like, well. Like if the last Horcrux wasn't at Hogwarts, would the final battle take place? Like just on a random field somewhere yeah mm-hmm. one, one other bit of plot armor was the whole thing around the trace of voldemort's name it's really convenient that they just stopped saying voldemort like they didn't know that there was a trace until later on when ron came back and they just went into saying you know who i don't remember was there a reason why they did that or did it just happen i think it just happened so but it was That's very convenient, convenient for them yeah very convenient <laughs> I, I kind of thought that thing was cool because it was a really simple way of discerning between Death Eaters or obviously like people that were scared to death of Voldemort and then people that were brave enough to confront him. I kind of like that part of it. Yeah, good strategy. Good strategy. Voldemort is doing stuff. Yeah, but he's got to be so frustrated, especially after the scene leaving the Dursleys. You have like how many times can the guy slip through your fingers and... Just knowing that you're the most powerful wizard that's ever lived, and like the guy has to be beside himself. <laughs> so, so thinking about that scene, I thought it was an awful plan. I mean, it was kind of a smart idea to have like the seven potters, but awful plan by whoever thought that idea up. Why didn't they just put Harry in a car and just drive him somewhere? Because that's not a wizard's thing. Wizards don't think in that way. Wizards are all about using magic, right? But well, Harry, Harry's to... a half, or yeah, Harry's grew up in the Muggle world. Yeah, but Harry had zero. Harry just showed up and they said, "Harry, do this," and he's like, "Okay." Yeah, I don't know. I I just felt like they could have thought about using some sort of teleportation that wouldn't cause harm in any way. Like obviously, yeah, I... transporting seven Harry Potters is going to cause some harm to some people. I'm I'm actually going to agree with with Nathan on this one. I tried to find a hole in the in this argument, but it's with the death eaters on patrol, I I don't think they would have expected a muggle transportation at all. I'm kind of with Nathan on this one and just doing the the old school car. But that's risky, like, right? Why didn't Harry just get in the car with the Dursleys? Well, they're they're watching. I mean, I I suspect there's some way they could have I agree and I disagree a little bit. The disagreement is that we're dealing with wizards who are used to using magic to solve their problems. So they're not going to think of doing that. And this is a way where they can have like a fairly good outcome. Uh, You know, it's risky, but at the same time, it's also exciting for the reader. I think it checks a lot of boxes. Yeah, it's definitely very exciting. I mean, yeah, it, it, it leaves them open to an attack, but they also didn't. They didn't uh, expect them to know when it was happening either. They didn't expect Snape would have uh, given up that information to Voldemort. They were surprised. So I read this right after watching a football game, and I envisioned in my mind a like a seven option read option play where the quarterback does a fake handoff to seven different running backs, and they wow. all get tackled, and then the one that actually has the ball is the one that kind of escapes. So it's like on a kickoff, every now and then they all come together 
and they do the old like hidden ball trick and they all spread apart. You know what yeah, I mean? It's just like that. Are we are we transitioning away from Voldemort? Because I, I have more things I could say about this. I thought it was really smart that they had Hagrid be, be the one to transport Harry. And I thought it, it was Hagrid's finest moment in all of the series combined. When he jumped off of the motorbike. I thought it was really brave by Hagrid. And it, well, he had prepared ahead. He had put all the gizmos on the motorbike and he was prepared to fend off the Death Eaters for a little bit. Like I was not expecting yeah. that from him. Yeah, that was very, I mean, that was a good plan there to put, because they would expect Harry to go with like the their best wizard, right? And so to put Harry with Hagrid, who can perform basically little to, <laughs> little to no magic. And then yeah. he's good at being nice to animals. Yeah, and they to put him on a motorcycle instead of a broom, which everyone thought that Harry would be on a broom. It was kind of a fun callback to the, to the motorbike at the beginning of the series when, uh, when when Hagrid rescues Harry. Yeah, definitely a parallel. Yeah, very very first scene of the first book, right? Comes in on on Sirius's bike. I, I'm assuming it was the same bike, although I don't remember yeah. that uh-huh. detail exactly. Yeah, same bike. Okay. Okay. Um, he does, however, like abandon Harry to Voldemort, but I guess he did all he could. I think he did all he could. Hagrid can't stand up to Voldemort. <laughs> What's Hagrid going to do against Voldemort? The the biggest flaw that I saw in the plan, like like what is this dude Mundungus doing around the order? Like what is this dude? He's just this con artist grifter. Like, not brave at all. Like, how is he continuing to get, like, valuable reps in one of the biggest operations that the Order's ever tried to pull off? I, there's uh, got to be some some good, good wizards around there to to take us down. You know, when you bring that up, yeah, Dan, when you bring that up and you bring up the football, it just reminds me of uh, number 82 on a BYU football getting valuable reps against Coastal Carolina and running the ball 10 yards backwards. That's what it reminds me of. Oh, gosh. Okay, so Mungus Fletcher is Chris Jack. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he does. He he leaves, right? He apparates, and he he basically just lets Voldemort kill the Order's best wizard. Yeah, Mad-Eye Moody. A huge loss for the Order. Disagree. Not the best wizard. Whoa. Kingsley way better. Okay, Kingsley but probably is the best style. Kingsley's in his prime, but don't you don't you think Moody, yeah. Moody is comparable in his prime? Didn't have no feelings for Moody. Well, I don't have any feelings for Moody either, but he's he's more competent compared to compared to some other order members. Like, don't you trust Moody better? And in a battle against Death Eaters, you don't. Have I? Ba- I mean, we've barely even seen the real Moody. I mean, I guess we do, we, but we've heard the stories. Yeah, but we, from what we know about the stories from Dumbledore, he's totally paranoid. And Moody kind of represents this conflict between Harry and the Order, which is a, a large part of the previous book and this book, where they just continue to not trust him to do anything as a younger wizard. They don't bring him in That's on the Stephen Potter's plan. They're just like, Harry, be a good boy, go do this. They want to protect him. Lupin's trying to tag along. Uh, they, they they don't have the same faith in Harry that Dumbledore does. And Harry pushes back on this big time. And Moody kind of represents that in this scene. And I think maybe him dying was a little representative of the shift then from Harry and Hermione and Ron, then taking off after the wedding. 
Well, you knew that they were going to take off no matter what. I mean, you got to feel like Mad Eye Moody. He's like he was Dumbledore's like one of his best friends, right? Back when they're young guys in their prime. I mean, I guess. Horrors, and you got to feel like Mad Eye Moody's got to know some some spells that can do some serious damage against the Death Eaters. Yeah, never really, never really seen it though. Not convinced on Mad Eye yeah. Moody. And he he does get taken he does get taken down by Crouch too, but I I mean I didn't care personally really for Matt for Moody when he when he died like I don't know if he had any family or anyone the order seemed pretty shook up about it Harry seemed a little bit shook up about it but kind of got over it but it was more so like I feel like the whole first half of the book is just one domino after another of negative momentum um, that's kind of building up like more and more crappy things happen Voldemort is, is slowly growing more and more powerful and this is just kind of the first big thing that happens so you gotta think back at book six right and Dumbledore is now dead right and so everything right. is looking everything's just going down for Harry right he's got a this huge hill huge mountain that he has to climb right and now at the beginning of the book Mad-Eye Moody, one of the orders, whether he was a good wizard, okay wizard, it doesn't really matter. I mean, their numbers are really slowly, few. very few. And so, and now add that onto there. They don't know any of the Horcruxes are. I mean, the very first half of this book is very kind of depressing. Like, how is Harry going to win? Yeah, we're, we're to continue the football, we're getting into like fourth and 20 type downs here. Nice, Steven. Yeah. All all this is a long way to say Manungus sucks. He's never he's never done anything good. So the next domino to fall is is the wedding. The the wedding disaster. And out of ten, how irresponsible is it for them to hold this large public event of wanted order wizards at a time when Death Eaters are just roaming around? Like, aren't they just putting everyone like here ripe for picking including harry yeah, potter guys. yeah <laughs> yeah i i give it a six out of ten listen guys no, we have 10 out of 10 irresponsibility I, I i i give it a six i'm just saying if covid was a thing back then no one at this wedding would be wearing masks because they're just not about that life they have they have no care for they, the thing is they didn't find out about the wedding until after the ministry fell because the ministry knew where Harry was. Yeah, that's true. They did think that there was a, it was going to be a little bit protected. Stephen, by the way, nice zinger so far. Yeah, uh, but it's but what went into this planning? Like, hey guys, we're currently protecting the number one renegade in the whole world that everyone's after. Let's have a party, and not only let's have a party, let's invite everyone, everyone that we know. Let's spare no invites. Let's invite people from other countries. Let's invite Victor Crumb. Who we who we barely know. We know from a competition we had in our youth at school. Victor Crumb showing up was yeah, that was so weird. Yeah, that that was a little bit weird. The reason why I only give it a six out of ten of irresponsibility is just because Voldemort and the Death Eaters didn't really know where Harry was, even if the wedding had gone on until after the Ministry of Magic came to give like to read the will of Dumbledore. To Harry, if he didn't show up, I'm sure the Death Eaters wouldn't have shown up. 
well, shouldn't they have realized, okay, people know this is like, it's not top secret. The information is out there. It is possible to piece this together. Voldemort is very smart. It seems like a bad, like you got to cancel, right? I mean, at some point you cancel canceling things is very easy. We've learned this year. So this easily could have been canceled. I feel like this wedding needs to happen because it gives them a time to just relax, enjoy themselves before they know they have to go out and risk their lives. This should have been a Zoom wedding. The wedding is just an info dump. It's a way to get an info dump on on Voldemort and start peeling back those, or not on Voldemort, sorry, on Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Yeah, it is. But I love how the way that the reason why they feel so confident that Harry can slide by undetected through the wedding is that they're just going to throw another redhead kid out there. They're going to make him uh-huh. a redhead kid. And nobody like nobody really knows the difference between the Weasleys uh-huh. anyway. So nobody's going to even think. <laughs> they, they don't they question it. They tell him they're, yeah. he's their cousin or something. It's like Barmy or something. Are they dissing themselves in this move to say no one cares about our family to the point where we can just add in extra people and no one will no one will care. No one will know. I think they have a big family. It's it's possible. I love how Luna yeah. walks straight up to Harry and says, like, hi Harry. Hi Harry. Nice outfit. What'd she and say? then Harry Yeah, or something like that. And then Harry just tells the the other guy that, that knew Dumbledore. I forgot his name. Yeah. That he was wait, Harry wait, Potter. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't catch his name in any of your 30 readings? Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. What's his wait. name, Nathan? I know his name. I've read the book twice. Doge. What's his name? I know his last name. <laughs> yeah, Dan just gave it away. But he just told he just told him, like, hey, I'm Harry. Elpheus? Elpheus Do- Doge? Yeah, Elpheus. Uh-huh. Yeah. Elpheus Doge and Auntie Muriel swapping stories about Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And Crumb. Crumb and Xenophilius coming in with it was a lot of info dump. Yeah, yeah. Maybe honestly, like maybe not my favorite. I I I can see a lot of issues with the beginning of this book. So it's a little it's a little sloppy. Maybe also it seems like we're transitioning to just going through the plot. Are we going back to the characters at any point? It's just it's just open season. It's just it's open, open, season. open season right now. Hey, so as you guys know, all throughout the first six books that we've reviewed right all throughout the six podcasts i've been a huge harry and hermione and ron hater right yeah you're shipping harry and Wait, hermione okay. on ron yeah yeah this, i was gonna say with, with crumb this is a good opportunity to talk about ron a little bit but yeah go for it but in this before the wedding there's a scene where harry and genie are in genie's room right i will say this is one of <laughs> So this is one of the few moments where I will ship Harry and Jeannie besides Harry and Hermione. One of the few moments. You were into the makeout. You were into the makeout. <laughs> no, but just because you got to. <laughs> so wait, Nathan, let me re- let me rewind to you a little bit. <laughs> I can I can tell you're really into the makeout because your voice is getting louder. You because you're getting closer to your mic. I think. <laughs> As I read this book and just look back upon this series and everything, I will say that Harry and Hermione are better better couple in the movies than in the and Harry and Jeannie are better couple in the books. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair take. Okay, so yeah. just everyone out there, because I some people that listen to the podcast that 
have told me you've got you've got some hate yeah on especially on the weasleys because everyone just loves the weasleys Uh uh-huh but i'm just gonna throw that out there that harry and hermione are better in the movies and harry and Ginny are better in the books possibly because of the makeout here you know that there are harry and Ginny makeout scenes in the movie also yeah but ron doesn't do anything in the entire series and Ginny doesn't do anything really besides like book five and six wait Ginny's cool yeah Ginny does a lot in the books we've discussed this Anyway, Jenny, I don't know Jenny, where you're going Jenny's with this. In the top three. Yeah, I, I think we're. I think maybe you tried to defend yourself. I don't know how successful <laughs> you were. Um, I'll give Ron some points for breaking up the makeout session because it probably shouldn't have happened with you know the way that everything was going. Because Harry, you know, they decided that they weren't going to do this, and Harry's putting himself in mortal danger. And so, yeah, props for Ron for a good big brother moment here. Yeah, should we talk more about Ron then throughout the whole first half of the book, or keep what it you, going? What do you think, host? Ron, Ron was a bit of a roller coaster up and down. Uh, yeah, Ron was a bit of a roller coaster. I, I honestly need to hear your guys' thoughts on how well. Obviously, we're going to do our character power rankings at the end of the podcast, right? Right. We are indeed. Yes. Yeah. So I think that Ron, he he doesn't have a lot of standout moments in this book, but obviously the biggest standout moment is when he pieces out. But how much blame are we giving him for that? Because really, he is excluded from a lot of the plans. He's not, I mean, he's kind of dumb, but he's not clueless. Like, he knows that he's not providing much value to the group. And that's got to be frustrating for him. And the locket is doing its thing on his morale. So I don't blame him fully for leaving. I blame him. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's what I... I need to hear your guys' thoughts. I give Ron 100% the blame. Because Hermione and Terry were also wearing the lockets or the locket at one point or another. And I mean, Hermione could have left at any point in time. Harry could have flipped out and just left on his own. Ron is 100% to blame here. So I, I think you're onto something there a little bit, Dan, when you say he was frustrated because he wasn't bringing anything to the group and it was a hard time and that you're not being involved in the locket. Like there's, there's reasons for this, but I think he could have preemptively done some stuff here to avoid getting to the point where he felt like he had to leave. I mean, if you're not involved, let's pick it up a little bit and figure out how you can contribute. Yeah. Yeah. The communication's lacking. I got you there. As with most fantasy books, especially Harry Potter. They struggle to communicate every now and then. That's kind of a, it's kind of a book thing. Sometimes you, you need that element to the plot. But what wh- another thing here is, he, this is like the first time that Ron has ever experienced anything that's like physically discomforting because his mom isn't around to help him, and Aww. he's not at Hogwarts where all of his needs are taken care of. So he's off in the wilderness here with the tent and Hermione's magic bag, and he struggles right because honestly, like he's a little bit of a wimp. And Harry and Hermione have dealt with this a little more being... They're like, in, they're in their element. Yeah. It's, they love the problem solving. It, it, yeah, it's it's very much their thing. And Ron, you know, this alienates him even more, excludes him even more from it. So there's reasons why. But at the same time, I, I see this as maybe an opportunity for him to grow and kind of get up to their level. And he fails spectacularly. 
Yeah, also very, I mean, why do they always have to wear the locket? Can't they just put it in the bag? Like, they put it back in the bag later in the movie. Yeah, I guess they're just worried about it. When yeah. they, well, when they come back from Godric Hollow, they put it in the bag. So why can't they just mm-hmm. put it in the bag and just worry about Dunno. it? Do, do people often compare this to Lord of the Rings? They probably do, right? Obviously, yeah, with totally, it's, ring of power. it's the ring. I mean, it's basically the ring. Yeah, it's basically Sam and Frodo's journey, but instead of Gollum, you have this like awkward teenage redhead kid. Mm. The, the third, the third member <laughs> of the traveling crew. <laughs> yeah, he does come back. He does come back though, right? Yeah, he comes back in a big way. Definitely, he himself for sure. He comes back, gives gives Harry a replacement wand, and then kills the Horcrux. And also saves Harry from the frozen lake. Yeah, big moment, big positive moment after the big negative moment. I think it's interesting that Dumbledore preemptively planned for this. Well, I guess every plan is preemptive, but he uh, he, he anticipated something would happen to this effect where he gave Ron the Deluminator in order to mm-hmm. give him another chance. And it speaks to Dumbledore's character of always having trust and hope and, and faith that, that love will prevail. And so as soon as Ron left, he wanted to come back, wasn't able to, and Dumbledore provided him a way to. So that that was a really nice thing. Yeah, because he Dumbledore, what he anticipated was that he was sending these kids out on a 99% hopeless shot in the dark quest that hopefully they could somehow come out on the other side having killed all the mm-hmm. Horcruxes. And he knew that Ron was going to lose hope at some point because like Steven said, he is a wimp. So he knew that Ron was going to need the Deluminator to find his friends again. Really, Ace, good good job anticipating by Dumbledore because that's yeah, that's a lot of stuff. I mean, it is hinted, happened. it is hinted in other books, like in Book Four, when Ron becomes jealous of Harry for being in the tournament, so he leaves him. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this isn't the first time we've we've seen the trio have issues, so no surprise, no surprise at all. But I think other than that moment, Ron doesn't, he doesn't really do anything, does he? In the whole first half of the book, he does participate in the break-in at the ministry, but his role isn't as important. He does a little bit. The other note that I have is whenever they first leave the wedding and those Death Eaters somehow are able to follow them, is it uh, Dalahov and the other guy? Sure. Ron is able to protect Hermione heroically and has a little moment there. But other than that, I mean, especially compared to Harry and Hermione, the, the dude, like, very forgettable performance in the book. Because Harry and Hermione, all over the place, doing cool stuff. Not so much Ron. Yeah, I mean, he's willing to be the, the fake Harry as well, one of the seven potters. Maybe that's notable. Probably took some some courage there. Yeah, looking through my notes, uh, that, that's pretty much it for Ron in the first half. Okay, next character. All right, Hermione. Oh, man, I got a lot on this. So Hermione starts off really showing her dedication to what's going on here when she enchants her parents. Yeah. And and, you know, basically erases all trails of her life like uh, that. That was not nothing. Yeah, no kidding. When Nathan was talking about the Harry leaving with the Dursleys, I wondered why Hermione's parents couldn't have gone with the Dursleys. She could have just told him what was going on, and I think they would have gone with it. It was maybe her dad just didn't want to leave the dentist practice behind. Like maybe they were business was booming. Yeah, like why protect the Dursleys out of all people? 
they should just be sacrificed. They should just die. <laughs> well, what have they throughout the whole series? Like they didn't have help. Hey, at the end, at the end, uh, at the end, Dudley says that maybe he respects Harry a little bit. Yeah, yeah. and Dudley's grown a little bit over time. But like, yeah, no, the, you're right. You're right. Series, they don't do anything. So why protect them over like Harry's or Hermione's parents? Well, well, Hermione's parents are protected. They're just protected in a different way. Look, I mean, this is kind of going back to the the conflict here between Dumbledore and love and trust and the goodness of people versus Voldemort, who inspires fear in his followers. And that's the only way he gets any loyalty. And so, of course, we're going to protect the Dursleys because they are you know, valuable people. Every life has value is, is what the conflict is centers around. Do you guys think it would have been cool if Dudley would have given Harry some kind of parting gift? Like he gives him, is it like he, he puts a cup of tea outside of his room? That's what it is. Uh-huh. And would it have been cool if he gave him some kind of gadget or something to remember him by? And it played a key role in the plot later on. That'd be cool. I think that would have been way cool if D- Dudley had contributed. Like a... Like, what? That would be fun too because they could just describe it as some muggle thing that no one understands what it is and the reader you know exactly what it is I can't think of an example offhand right now but then uh, when when they when it finally does the thing that we all know it should as muggle readers then it's awesome yeah. that make any sense yeah well, he does he does have the quote to, when he's talking to Harry he says I don't think you're a waste of space after his parents or after Vernon basically was like well why did we uh-huh. protect over all these years and everything and uh-huh maybe you should have given him a boxing glove and then punched someone in the face with it he doesn't harry doesn't need boxing gloves man he just he does yeah, it it's raw knuckles maybe maybe his, his wand is taken away and during the time at malfoy manor he's able to don the boxing glove and punch malfoy in the face or something <laughs> this is for dudley <laughs> Or, it's like a toy lightsaber or something, but all the wizards are confused and they think it's some kind of unknown magic. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they'll run all away. Right, so, so going off of uh, Hermione a little bit more, so a big part of her is this research into the Horcruxes and then later on the Hollows, although that's more on the Harry side. Harry's able to figure that out really quickly and really well. But... What did you guys think of the whole, maybe this is where we talk about the whole hollows thing. Hollows versus Horcruxes. Hollows are entirely new to this book. I struggle with this a little bit because it's the seventh and final book of the series. And so to bring in a new thing and be like, oh, this is the thing. Like this is the the big thing that's going to save the day. And you haven't heard of it in any of the previous six books, but now it's huge. And so learn all about it and make sure it's important. Like I, I struggle with that a little bit. I'm like the hollows. I mean, what? This is brand new. Well, I, I don't care about these. I mean, I, I wouldn't consider them brand new. I mean, the name certainly is like the yeah, Deathly Hollows. Sure, like the objects have existed, mostly the invisibility cloak. But we had no idea that that was anything extra special until this book. Yeah, and, but that's why I don't think it's that such a a big deal just because you knew of the invisibility cloak you kind of knew Dumbledore had the elder wand when they kind of described it you knew that he had it at some point in time yeah all I'm saying is that in other series this would have been foreshadowed back in like the first second third books whatever like all the way through there's like oh these hollows things and like no one says that much about them but later on they become more and more important then finally in the seventh book it's like 
oh my gosh, these are the things. And it's super exciting and, and really fun as a reader. That's what I was going to say. I think the hollows and horcruxes work together really well. And the ending of the book is very satisfying for how Harry's actually able to eventually defeat Voldemort. But I agree with Steven that we needed a mention, especially of the resurrection stone. That seems way too important for no one to know about it or ever mention it. There are a few things like this that uh, JK Rowling reveals um, only when they come up in Harry, Ron, and Hermione circles, but surely other wizards in the community have been talking about them. There have to be books talking about them. And I mean, enough people knew about the Deathly Hallows that they shouldn't have just faded into this total like fable type. Yeah. Like, don't you think that Harry would have like researched like the invisibility cloak when he got it? No, not really. Harry... Harry doesn't. Harry doesn't do that kind of stuff. Well, what's he going to do? There's no way to. There's no way to search for things if you're a wizard. You can't Google it. You have to wade through hundreds, thousands of pages of books. So wouldn't like at least one of them, or is something like that, like in the first or second book, just have them research about it? So and it's in the restricted in section. Kind of like how I mean, a good example of this was in the very first book on the Chocolate Frog. It talks about Dumbledore's duel with Grindelwald. And I could have done with some more mentions of this personally as well, but it was there in the first book. And so it was kind of like a nice little Easter egg there for something later on. Um, I guess in general, like I just would have liked these books to be plotted together a little bit more. Or I think it would have been cool if we knew the story of the three brothers somehow, if that would have been referenced, but we didn't know, uh, I guess, what the how realistic it was. I, I guess it could have been brought up in one of their classes in Hogwarts, maybe as they had to write essays about it, but it's just kind of tossed to the side. But I think people are trying to hide that history. So that's why it's not in any of the curriculum books. I mean, there's reasons why it couldn't have come up. There's also plenty of reasons why it could have come up. I think as a reader, it would have been more fun if it connected a little bit more because something we've kind of talked about without saying is there's been a lot of info dumps throughout the first part of this book makes it a little slow, makes the plot a little disjointed where there's because I'm like going to thing to thing and learning a little bit here and learning a little bit there, but it's just a little bit disjointed and doesn't flow as nicely as some of the other books. I didn't love the first half of this book. I mean, hot take from me. I I 100% agree with you, Stephen. Very, very slow book. I mean, even not want to get the movies too involved, but the movie is a very, very slow movie. I mean, like, Oh yeah. Um, follow up, follow up question. So you've read this book 30 times and you said it was your favorite Harry Potter book yet. You just agreed with me yeah, and said, I, I didn't like favorite. it. <laughs> no, no, How does no, that no. Work? I didn't like the first part of the book, but the second part of the book made up. The for second it. part was so amazing to surpass every other book, despite the first half of the book being a total duffer. <laughs> yes and i'll explain why in our next podcast in part two all right i'm looking forward to that but i think a reason why and i agree with you steven is that i never got too hung up in this whole side story of wait was dumbledore a bad wizard and because maybe because some of it the source was rita skeeter who you know that you shouldn't trust so all of that stuff even though it's kind of an info dump you don't really care about it at least i didn't and I don't know. I guess I just didn't care that much about what Dumbledore's past was because I knew that I guess if 
JK Rowling really wanted to pull the rug from under us, she would have made Dumbledore be questionable at the end, but I don't know how she would have done that. But you kind of know deep down that Dumbledore has to be good. So yeah, I, don't, I, I don't really invest much thought into that. And I feel like that's what the first half of the book, a lot of the info dumps are related to. Yeah, it was Harry struggling with this idea of Dumbledore. It was interesting to see his history being revealed more and to get more of a look at him. Like he he wasn't just this paragon of virtue and th- there were a lot of questionable things about his past. But yeah, as a reader, do we ever really question if he's good? Like the guy is good. Sure, he's got a little bit more of a gray past, which is interesting, which I like that she did. But at the same time, yeah, the conflict of good or not or, or what's going on here yeah it did it did set it up to meet like in the second part when they met his brother and they had the picture of his sister in there otherwise you would have been like who's this old guy and they wouldn't have known because they wouldn't have figured it out it's like this guy looks like Dumbledore it could be his brother it could not who knows yeah I mean we'll, we'll talk about this more that that we'll talk about that portion more in the second half which is where Nathan will apparently be raving about the book. <laughs> I can, can I read through my list of Hermione's accomplishments in this yeah. book? Yeah. I, I'm probably missing some, honestly, but I have some bullet points here, starting with her obliviating her parents, making that sacrifice. She's a total boss with Scrimger, you know, like even though he's the minister of magic, just not at all intimidated. She has some really... Uh, quick comebacks in that scene and whenever he's giving him, them the books that or the gifts that Dumbledore left then she does an amazing job obviously of having everything prepared she's already been practicing spells that are going to be useful to them when they're traveling by themselves she's the most level-headed of the of the three dealing with the locket as they journey through the forest um, she gets tortured by Bellatrix not only withstands it doesn't give away any information but steals her hair and then uses it to break into Bellatrix's vault, extremely boss move right there. What else do I got right here? And, and that's in part two. Okay, but I can mention, we've been mentioning a lot of things. Um, she is the one that has common sense when they go to Godric's Hall and re- visiting Bethilda Bagshot. She saves the day there. She knows something is awry. I, don't, I have no idea how Harry doesn't realize this, by the way. And then she talks- Yeah, the house smells like human refuge. And uh... Harry's the only one that understands. Yeah. <laughs> she she talks harry down after he freaks out about dumbledore when he uh finds skeeter's book and reads about his backstory she helps them escape xenophilius lovegood she whenever they get caught by the snatchers she casts the spell on harry to make his face swell up i think i'm missing a couple other things but she yeah. is all well, it's just like the general the the general day-to-day of keeping this operation together there's no way harry and ron were doing any of the planning i mean how did they know where to go, et cetera? Like she probably did everything. My only negative is also the bag the that holds everything. Yeah, I said that. I said she prepared everything before. Oh, okay. Lots, I guess of, that lots of foresight. Yeah, she was ready to go at the wedding. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that was a great move. She maybe was the only one who had any inkling that this wedding was a bad idea. And so she came ready to go. <laughs> yeah, my only negative is I think that she had Rita Skeeter right where she wanted her and i don't want to say that she should have like killed her or something but there had to have been a way where she took away her powers and made it so that she couldn't return to her career as a this pseudo journalist whatever like i was like every time she attempted every time she attempted to slander she would have some magical thing happen to her like a permanent jinx yeah yeah like the pimples thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from the secret breaker girl 
Yeah, or give her like one of Fred and George's candies or something. Marietta, Harrietta, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Nathan probably knows. I don't know. Nathan didn't know Elpheus Do- Doge. <laughs> I did know. I just forgot how to pronounce his name. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, maybe last big moment from this before we get into our top and bottom three is the whole Malfoy Manor thing, right? So after this series of events, they're wandering around in the woods forever. We, we destroy the Horcrux. Uh, Ron is back. And then they slip up with Voldemort's name. They get captured by the Snatchers and off to Malfoy Manor to meet up with our crew, our, our guys here. A few more characters are finally into the, into the book. Yeah, they are. Before we bring up Malfoy Manor, can I just bring up the uh, the whole Horcrux when they destroy the Horcrux? How Harry blindly follows the Patronus into the woods by himself? Bad idea. Oh, bad idea. <laughs> no, he has no other options. Well, he just blindly follows a Patronus, a doe that could be anyone's Patronus. Yeah, but the doe, right? The doe is. A Gryffindor knows when it's time for a Gryffindor to shine, and that was the time for him to strip off his clothing and jump into the water. He no, felt no, not it. that part. Not that part. Just That's following the same part. Him, right? Well, yeah, but like just following it into the woods. The initial decision. He, yeah, like why didn't he wake up Hermione and say, "Hey, Hermione, there's something in the woods here. Let's go follow." No, he couldn't do that because the book needed him and Ron to make up and oh. have this moment with them, so Hermione couldn't have been part of it. Yeah, but just a also just a foreshadowing of of Snape being good at the end. Wait, okay, so why is Snape's? How do we feel about the dough? That's, I mean, we'll talk a lot more in the second part about Lillian and Snape. How do we right. feel about the dough? It seems so weird. Like, how how did he know that that was Lily's Patronus? First of all, it's weird, right? I mean, I we we can talk more obviously about the whole Snape Lily thing. I'm in the it's weird camp. Yeah, I'm definitely there. We haven't talked about Snape either during the first half because he does a few things. He gets headmaster. Yeah, which like most awkward faculty meeting ever, right? Yeah. yeah after McGonagall sure. probably knows Flitwick, Slughorn, Sprout. Yeah, Hogwarts is not the same. Would have been more fun to maybe get some some views into that, although we, we do it towards the end of of the book in part two. He uh, blows off George's ear. I'm guessing he didn't feel bad about that at all. So, no, no, no. Apparently, he was casting Sectum Semtra on a, a Death Eater, though. Casting on a Death Eater, which we find out. Oh. Yeah, just, just caught in the crossfire. Yeah. 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 Dang, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do my non-part two. Oh. <laughs> there, are, <laughs> there are other questionable moves for sure from Snape, right? In the first part. Like, couldn't he have done a better job of being on the good side of the double agent. I mean, he gave up the, inf- he gave up the Intel and when they were moving Harry, although we do learn in the, the Patronus, I mean, to go into part two, Dumbledore told him to do that, but also, I mean, that's, that was tough. I, that, that was a big thing. He had already killed Dumbledore. He had already earned the trust of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That, this is an open question, right? Didn't he already have Voldemort's trust? Why did he have to give up the location? Dumbledore tells him to do this because I guess, for plot reasons and like there's a lot of things where it's just like well plot that's that's the explanation here's my take i think snape wanted no actually no that's way too hot of a take but as as long as he as long as he doesn't feel like he's responsible 
I don't know if he no he would have minded because he wants Voldemort to be killed. He he would have been fine letting some uh, order members be caught in the crossfire though. Yeah, I know it seems like it. Like Lupin goes down. Yeah, yeah. that's tough. Don't care. Snape doesn't care, right? Yeah, probably not. Probably not about Lupin. Okay, so let's talk about Malfoy Manor now. Are, are we ready now? Yeah. Uh, so I'll begin. This is uh, the first part of the book that, well, the first part of the book, the wedding. I really like the wedding part just because it gives Harry and the rest of the characters just a sense of hope that's still out there. But this is where I feel like, I mean, can all agree that this is where the books really takes off here. I don't know from my perspective. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Just because you have other characters Stepping in, you have Luna there. You have uh, Mr. Ollivander there. Bellatrix. Oh, oh, yeah, I was getting there. And Griphook's there. Seamus is there. Yeah, Dean is there. Seamus is not there. Dean is there, though. Um, And then you yeah. have like, the whole, like, Bellatrix, all the Malfoys. Peter Pettigrew's there. That's a party. A lot of stuff going on here. Fun place to be. <laughs> and for i mean for if for a couple of, i mean for a couple of minutes it doesn't look like harry's gonna going to escape yeah it does no <laughs> my question in this whole scene is why can the malfoy family not identify harry i get that his face is swollen up and stuff but i mean come on guys you know hermione you know ron Whoa. you know you know this dude here with black hair who's about the same size as harry like if it looks like Harry, if it smells like Harry, it, it's it's Harry. It's obviously Harry. Well, they asked Draco to identify him. Yeah, but they should have been able to. The parents should have. They've seen Harry. It's super obvious that it's Harry. It, Steven, I think you're thinking of the movie, though. Maybe the spell in in real life, well, in the book, maybe the spell was more convincing. Well, or that's fine. I mean, I, the yeah. features more. I, I can believe that, but I'm saying, okay, Lucius has seen Harry. Lucius has seen Harry several times. And he, I mean, everyone knows what Harry looks like. This dude is the most famous wizard out there other than Voldemort and Dumbledore. There's, I, I see no reason why they should not have identified Harry right away. Yeah, I kind of agree with Stephen here just because, I mean, they have Hermione and Ron. So they can't figure out that that's Harry. Isn't it just, it's Lucius's place. So if anyone is going to summon Voldemort to come, it has to be Lucius. But he has such PTSD from offending the Dark Lord that... He wants to be. He want. He doesn't want to be a ninety nine percent sure because who knows yeah. what's going to happen to him. So this is the explanation that I'll buy. So so nice. This brings up the way that Voldemort treats his followers, right? You see this at the very beginning in in the prologue. Yeah, the the fear that he inspires. So like Dan was saying, yeah, maybe Lucius is ninety nine percent sure, which I could buy. Like maybe there's some little grain of doubt. But that grain of doubt is strong enough to the point where we're not going to call Voldemort because we are so scared of what would happen if we were wrong. Yeah. So this is not an effective management technique. <laughs> yeah, they, they should know that Harry Potter by now, master escape artist, like not to take any chances. You got him in your clutches. Don't waste any time. What about the thing with Wormtail and the silver hand? Oh, was this a good enough payoff from the thing that was set up in the fourth book where Dumbledore was like, well, you have him in your debt now. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like it is. At the end of the third book. Isn't it, it, it? In the third book. Mm-hmm. 
I, I feel like it is because, I mean, Peter Pettigrew's portrayed Harry a couple of times I mean, with his parents. And then Harry lets him go at the end of the third book. Well, he doesn't really let him go. He lets him live. And then yeah. he escapes. But at the same time, it wasn't a moment that only Peter Pettigrew could have filled. I felt like J.K. Rowling was kind of putting this in there like, we got to have the moment where this is important. So we're going to put it here because it could fit here. But at the same time, it wasn't like something that only Pettigrew could have done. I, I didn't find it that impactful. It's just like, oh, okay, that's how. All right. I just don't think that Pettigrew was deserving of a ceremonious death at all. I kind of liked how quick it was and how everyone just moved on because he didn't deserve anyone's respect. He was just this rat that the dark side and the good, the good side, nobody cared for at all. Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of liked it just because he, at the end of the day, he didn't, I mean, he didn't really die on the good side. He didn't die on the bad side. He was kind of there. He paid his debt to Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of an ignominious death. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice dollar word. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Also Dobby, Dobby coming in clutch here. Okay. So Dobby, Dobby saves the day. Um, how much was Dobby's death impactful to you? I already dissed Mad-Eye Moody, Mad-Eye Moody oh, and said I didn't care that Moody died. Am I about to diss Dobby as well? What do you think? You can't diss Dobby. Do not diss Dobby here. I am too, Steven, and I feel terrible about it, but I just got to acknowledge how I feel. I feel we didn't talk about Hedwig either. I got over Hedwig's death one second. It, like did not phase me at all. Here's the problem. I have enough of emotional attachment to these characters because they've been off screen for so long and they're just so minor characters that when people are like, I was so broken up over Hedwig dying, like Nathan said, or I was so broken up over Dobby dying, I was like, uh, okay, I know who that character is, but at the same time, like, I don't really care about them. I care about the, the main things that are going on. So if you're going to bring in this minor character, have him do one thing and then kill him, I don't care that much. So you got to think, so Dobby, Dobby, well, one, he just operates into Malfoy Manor like it's nothing, great. Yes, and he saves Ollivander, Dean, and Luna. Can't deny his performance. A-plus performance. Yeah, he comes back. And just the whole connection between him and Harry, where he either calls him uh, Master Harry or Sir Harry or Harry Potter, how can I help serve you? And just that whole scene there. And then this isn't really in the books because, I mean, you continue in the books. But in the movie, it just, like, ends right there. After after Dobby dies, you have this connection to Harry. It's like, well, Dobby's now dead. Like, how, again, just this huge mountain to climb, right? Yeah, but how does Dobby dying add to the mountain at all? Because this dude has nothing to do with the plot of the book that we care about. He's just a guy who comes in, makes some good moves and he's out and he's kind of cute. So we're supposed to care about him, but at the same time, okay, this changes nothing for me. Well, no, but it could change if Dobby had survived. Think of all the different stuff that they could have done. with Dobby. Not buying that. Not buying that. Dobby's never done anything useful. I agree with both of you because I do think that Dobby is underutilized clearly in earlier books. Dobby could have operated into Gringotts and gotten the cup. Then get Creature to do that. There's plenty of house elves. Oh. <laughs> wow. Steven, 
Stephen not valuing the individualism of the house elves and grouping them together. Wait, could Dobby have just apparated? I don't Wait, know. I, I want to challenge Nathan on that. I don't think Dobby could have. I, I, I don't. I don't know if he could have apparated into Gringotts, but There's no he, way. Could have, he could have helped them a lot more throughout the rest of the book for sure. Okay, so the way that I think about Dobby's death is that he died serving his purpose, which like not not what we think his purpose is, but what he thought his purpose was, which was just to protect Harry. That's where he got all of his enjoyment out of life. Like I felt like he had kind of mm-hmm. lost his place in society. He wasn't really accepted by the house elves. Obviously, he's not accepted into standard wizarding circles. So really, like, what was he doing with his life other than protecting Harry Potter? He did an awesome job, obviously. Died nobly. He was a hero. He was revered. Um, But yeah, like Stephen said, I felt like he came and went. He was really annoying for the first few books when he was when he was there. So, yeah, I don't I I would just kind of wanted to move on with other things that were happening with the plot. I didn't really want to dwell on Dobby for too long after it happened. All right, way to way to split the difference there. I think that was a good summation of both sides. Wait, can we talk about Hedwig though? <laughs> <laughs> Did we already talk about Hedwig? No, Hagrid died in front of a killing curse to save Harry. How can you not be torn out about that? You guys have to tell me why do we care about Hedwig? Why are people so attached to Hedwig? It's it's just like a stubborn owl. Because Hedwig like, what is, is what is Hedwig's moment? A really pretty owl. She brings the mail really well. So Hedwig died diving in front. Diving yeah, I mean, in front of Harry. Yeah, no, way, way good way good way to go out, but what Dan's point is like, okay, she's just an owl, like there's not that much she, she it's not like a dog where she's done a bunch of cool things throughout. <laughs> she just brings the mail. It's almost nice. like a dog. No, it's <laughs> like a dog though. What other things has she done? She's been there for Harry. Okay. Impetus between, behind Harry's meeting with Cho Chang at the Owlry? I mean, are we really no, reaching? No, like, all throughout, no, you got to think all throughout summer when Harry's at the... Deep cut, by the way. I forget about that one. When he, Harry's at the Dursleys, right? He has no one there for him. He's, he's all he's got is Hedwig. Okay, okay. That's that's of a good point. Harry and Hedwig during the summer? You can't just say that Hedwig's death isn't emotional for Harry. Hmm. I guess I'm just so caught up in defeating the Dark Lord that I, I don't see why Hedwig makes that much of a difference. Especially when Mad-Eye dies like a minute later. I care more about Hedwig than Mad-Eye. Oh I care my gosh. Okay, what I've learned from this is that Nathan has the biggest heart out of all of us, but I, at least I have the second biggest heart. <laughs> yeah, my heart is for sure the smallest. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're ready to. Uh, I think we're actually ready to go into our top three and bottom three Dude, rankings. Right? That, can we just go? So to back to the Malfoy man, Harry blatantly just beats up on Malfoy here. Just takes just takes all the wand, his wand away from him. Yeah, Malfoy's pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> If only Harry had a boxing glove and could have punched him as well. That would have been perfect. Um, one guy, we we didn't talk about Lupin. He has a little bit of a, a character arc in this book. Hey, let's, uh, I, I feel like he'll come up in the top three and bottom three. Oh my gosh. So, uh, <laughs> if you want to 
if you want to put him in there, if you want to put him in there and talk about what he's doing, uh, feel free to. So we're going to close out the episode now that we've talked through the first half of the book with our top three and bottom three just in this book, not going to part two, not going to previous books, just to perform the best in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows part one as we define it. So starting with our top three, Nathan, Nathan, you've been selected to start. Okay. Even though we didn't really talk about Godric's Hollow a whole lot and... But number number one is probably going to be Hermione. Um, she just does outstanding for Harry and Ron. Yeah, she does the list that Dan talked through for sure. Dan mentioned the list. Um, and then number two is going to be Dumbledore. Okay, from the grave. Yeah, preparation that he gave to Harry in book six, telling him about the Horcruxes and everything, and then just leading. Ron back to them with the Deluminator. And then number three is going to be I'm I'm gonna say it and I don't care what other people say, it's gonna be Hedwig. What? Hedwig. <laughs> it's gonna be Hedwig. Because oh, oh my god. If Hedwig wasn't there, Harry This guy, this guy has caught the Christmas spirit too much. His heart is too big. No, you gotta think, Hedwig, if Hedwig wasn't there to jump in from the killing curse, Harry could have died in that moment. Well, if Ron wasn't there, Harry would have gotten choked to death in his underwear in a lake. No, There's lots Ron, of people saving Harry. Ron will also, never... That was, just, that was just a plot. That was, that was just a plot thing. Like, the curse didn't have to come. Like, there could have not been a curse there. Hedwig didn't need to die. It was just a thing to throw in there to get fools like you... To have an emotional reaction. And and Ron will never be in my top three. It doesn't matter what he does. I don't even think Hedwig purposely jumped in front of the curse. Is that that real? Yeah. It's in the book. Remember when Fox goes and and, and swallows Nevada Cadavera from Dumbledore? That was a cool bird save death. (laughs) That that was how you go out if you're a cool bird. You're talking about a, a bird that comes back to life. Hedwig does not come back to life. Yeah, the bird that comes back to life is cooler than the bird that doesn't come back to life. No. Does Hedwig... For sure, for sure. Does Fox give the emotional support to Harry during the summer? No, that's that's all on Hedwig. Yeah, Fox... Okay, Fox cooler than Hedwig. At me on Twitter if this is not true. Okay, Dan, what are your top three? Okay, I have two, but I'm still looking through. I'm always not prepared on this. Number one is going to be Hermione, for sure, for the reasons that were stated. Number two is probably just going to be Harry, which we didn't talk about. Do I have any extra notes about Harry that we didn't really talk about? I I just kind of like how humble he is and how focused on the cause throughout. Like on his birthday, he doesn't care about his birthday to call or like at all. He... When the the trace gets lifted, he does some boring spells and he calls it good. He has he knows he has bigger fish to fry. He does an awesome job telling off Lupin. I know Steven, you're gonna talk about Lupin in a little bit, but I also think he shows a lot of maturity with creature in this book and a lot of humility and treating creature, um, like forgiving him for being partly responsible for Sirius's death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that scene in the ministry when he um, when he j- jumps into action and stuns Umbridge, and they they end up getting the Horcrux, I thought that was awesome. Maybe maybe I, that was something I had as a negative for Harry. Actually, the the impulsivity to jump at Umbridge 
in a situation where you're probably not going to come out on top. I don't know about that. But I think that the, so the option is what you just, you walk away and then you have to try again the next day. You just have to keep trying. I mean, yeah, why not? You have, you can do the same thing. Polyjuice potion it up again. Well, hindsight is 2020 and it worked. Yeah. I mean, it's his character. Okay, speaking of Polyjuice Potion, I think the first half of this book could just be called Harry Potter and the Polyjuice Potion. <laughs> side note. Polyjuice Potion is very useful, we've learned. Yeah, it used to be super hard to make and super rare. You had to sneak into people's shops to get it. But... Uh-huh, uh-huh. And now it's super easy. <laughs> yeah. How many How many times do we get it? Is it? I can think of three times. Am I missing any? Uh, no, three. Three times. First part the wedding, the wedding, the potters, and the ministry infiltration. Okay, my third most valuable character, or I guess best character, it's gonna be really hard. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of cop out. I'm gonna say Hagrid just for the motorbike scene. I know that's not the right answer. I just can't think of anything else. I don't have any hot takes. I am gonna put. Uh, I'm gonna put Voldemort. Wait, wait. I'm gonna say Dobby. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm gonna say Dobby. Okay, go, Steven. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Voldemort is going into my top three, not number one, not number one, but he does have some good moments. I mean, he has some some less good moments, but uh, you know he's making some good progress. I'll, I'll slot him in at number three, and then number two, I'm not gonna have hot takes here. I'm gonna say Harry Potter, Harry Potter number two, Hermione number one. We've we've talked about these guys to death. There's not that that many. There's not that many characters who do a good job, right? Like. We're mostly just following the trio. Nathan, mm-hmm. did you um did you put Dobby in your top three? No, Dobby's not my top three. Okay, we gotta show respect to Dobby. I definitely replaced Haggard with Dobby in my top three. Dobby's like number four for me for sure. All right, let's hear some bottom threes now, Nathan. So before we get to bottom three, just just a honorable mention my top three is R A B Regulus Archers Black, just because he gets the locket and stands up against the death eaters yeah dude was pretty cool actually once we get the backstory with creature yeah another another info dump though yeah yeah i just wanted to put him out there just because we didn't talk about him i think he's a really cool foil to Sirius because in a lot of ways they're similar they have similar passions but Sirius is passionate for his friends whereas rab does anything for his family but yeah, I think it would be cool to know more about his backstory, like what he was like at Hogwarts. Okay, anyway, so bottom three. So number number one is going to be Ron. Um, Saw that coming. <laughs> oh my goodness. Just because he just leaves Harry. I just feel like if your best friend is destined to fight Voldemort, you can't leave him no matter what. I don't know. Just talk it out. Uh, number Number two. It's gonna be the Weasleys, just all of the, just the clan. Oh, oh! I talked you into hating on the wedding. No, I don't hate the wedding as much as you do, Stephen. But I do find it kind of odd that they had it at that time. So why don't you group Ron in with the Weasleys? He was even worse. <laughs> yeah, he's even worse. <laughs> I still don't get why the other Weasleys were bad, in your opinion. Because of the irresponsibility of the wedding scheduling. Gotcha. Okay. The inability to to shift to Zoom for the wedding. And then number three is going to be, I'm going to say the Malfoys. I'm kind of with Steven on this, especially Draco, 
Lucius, I felt like they could have recognized and could have thought that Harry was going to be with Hermione and Ron. It didn't matter what he looked right, like. Right. He, they should have recognized that he was going to be with them, and they could have called the Dark Lord no matter what. Even if Harry wasn't with them, they just that they captured Ron and Hermione, known associates of Harry, and have Voldemort interrogate them, find out where Harry was. And also just letting them escape via their own former house elf just like yeah really bad escaping with a bunch of wands too with a bunch of wands <laughs> their own yeah. wands Malfoy Manor uh tough 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 home court there no advantage to the to the home court team yeah okay Dan let's hear your bottom 3 okay uh number 3 is number 3 is Mrs Weasley I'm going to zone in on that because of the wedding and also because she has no trust for Harry, Ron, and Hermione to be able to act as adults, despite their many accomplishments. She has this weird thing where she assigns them to do chores nonstop for three days before the wedding, so much to the point where they have no free time to talk to each other, which is pretty mm -hmm. crazy. Uh, number two is Nagini. Nagini had Harry point blank range, does not deliver the kill. Uh -huh. No idea how that doesn't happen. Yeah, like the Lord of the Rings scene on Weathertop with all the, the ring race surrounding Sam and Frodo. Let's sure, go. sure. Well, you got to uh -huh. think Nagini's, uh, Nagini is not intended to kill. Voldemort wants to kill Harry, right? And so... Well, then... Can she not, like... Disable him. Yeah. Cast Rap. Use, use the rap move. <laughs> Cast rap. Is that a Pokemon reference you got? Seen? I just I just combined Pokemon and Harry Potter. I know. Hey, for listeners, I know that you don't cast Pokemon moves. It, it was a combination of the two. Uh, yeah. Number one for me is Dumbledore. Ho ho! Going right against Nathan. Wow. Yeah, I'm just I'm just kind of sick of Dumbledore's like whimsical riddle leaving like I, I just really wish you would have given direct instructions like hey um you guys are in my will and these are uh, the the gifts that i left you are a book and a light switch and a thing that that works only if you're dead so i i just like get, leave some instructions somehow he's a smart enough wizard like there has to be an equivalent of a what do you call the thing that you put in the ground and then you dig it up like a time capsule? That's what I was going to say. Like there's got to be some yeah. message that you can program for a later date to pop up. If you didn't think Harry was ready at the time, then estimate when he would Could be he ready. not have. So what you're describing is basically a pensive. Could he not have given some instructions or something? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very pensive. I guess he was just very concerned about the information somehow falling in Voldemort's hands which is understandable. It's hard to guarantee that the information will go to Harry, given the competency of Harry and the you know the Death Eaters, etc. Like there, there's a lot of forces against. It's tough, especially if you're dead. Or yeah, I, I I don't understand why Harry had to wait so long to learn about the Deathly Hallows, and that's why Dumbledore's number one. That could have come up in the previous book, which is something I mentioned. This thing should have been foreshadowed more. Okay, my my bottom three. There's there's actually a lot of, of characters who could wind up in the bottom three. So I have the benefit of going last. I can throw in whoever. Malfoy family was mentioned already. They were on my uh, on my roster of potential bottom threes. I'm going to throw in uh, Scrimgeour on there. 
because dude was a jerk and he died immediately afterwards. I don't know how the ministry takeover went down, but I can't imagine Scrimger did very well. Like I imagine he was taken down by some third-rate Death Eater. Maybe yeah. Pettigrew was able to take him down somehow. Maybe like maybe Dalahov, who Harry defeated like really nonchalantly uh-huh. without any warning. Dalahov was the dude that uh, messed up Hermione in the fifth book, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, we got a history with with Dalahov. Yeah, we we don't like Dalahov. Maybe Yaxley. Yaxley could have. I'm just throwing out Death Eater names that I know that actually do stuff. All right. Um, I don't know how you guys didn't get Lupin on your bottom three. Because well, I knew you were going to say him. Yeah, so he he's bottom three material for sure. Continues to show zero trust for Harry. He's willing to abandon his wife and unborn child because he doesn't think the fight is worth fighting and there is no hope. I mean, I get that the Order represents this conflict with Harry, but I'm just disappointed that the adults... Like the only adult that has any sense of hope and like there's a possibility we come out on top here is Dumbledore who's dead and and Harry has to kind of carry the torch single-handedly here. Uh, why can he not get any support from anyone else? Lupin was a big disappointment. Seems like he could have filled some kind of mentor role. I, I mean, he was know. cool previously. You liked him when he came in and said, I'm willing to abandon my wife and child. No, no, no. You, don't, you don't need to tell me what you're doing, Harry. Just, just know that I'll, you know, I'll do it, and uh, you know, I, I don't have much faith in any of this working out. But uh, yeah, he turns into I a am. child. I just it's feel like Luke, he he failed to help Harry and or James and Lily. He's got to feel like he's got to protect Harry somehow, and this is the only way he knows how to do it. And so he's he doesn't do it in the best way, but yeah, he I, does it in the worst way, which is why he's on the bottom three. <laughs> All right, my final bottom three member is Xenophilius. Xenophilius, who I get that Luna is being held, and yeah, like for sure that that's a bit of an issue. But I mean, come on, man, you're selling out to the Death Eaters for Big Harry Potter. You know that Harry Potter is your only hope here. This is way low. This is way low. How do you have any any trust that the Death Eaters will give Luna back to you? This is a the smacks of desperation, and it's a terrible move. And uh, Xenophilius, bottom three member. I, yeah, I thought there there were a lot more choices for bottom three than top three. This this was very much so. At least the first half is a big three book, despite Nathan putting Ron as number one on this bottom three. Actually, the first half of the book is pretty bleak. Like you said, the dominoes keep on falling. Things yeah. are going very poorly overall. Things go very poorly. Yeah. Ministry gets taken over. Harry's wand breaks. Voldemort gains power. It's all. Oh, we didn't even talk about Harry's wand breaking and then flipping out on Hermione afterwards. That was a bad moment for Harry. Yeah. Again, he, d- he takes one step forward and two steps back. I don't know about that. It's more like it's like a step and a half forward and one step back or something. He's he's slowly getting closer to, to doing something. All right. So that wraps up our review of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows part one. Good thing we split it up because we're already going on an hour and a half. And uh, that was only half the book. <laughs> so, uh, so tune in to our tune into our next half review, which will be out soon. Potter Watch. Yeah, yeah, on Potter Watch. What's the password for Potter Watch for next time? I'll have to remember what I ate last Friday, or, or Dan's not going to do another podcast with me. I don't, I don't know any fun words from this one. Blanking on it. All right, the password will be Mundungus, who somehow didn't end up in the bottom three, even though Dan. Hated on him. <laughs> oh, I forgot episode. about Mundungus. 
Why is he around? <laughs> if you want to hear more from Phantology, you can do that at www.phantologybooks.com and support the show at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books. All right, guys. Pottermore out. All right, see ya. Yep. Yeah.